For so many modern-driven women, life is about being more than one thing. We're multidimensional, and so are our conversations. We carry multiple identities. We can be both mother and artist, both attorney and entrepreneur, both clinician and CEO, both humble and proud. Life for women like us is about both, about all of the above. It's about the and. Our stories are the stories of so many of you. We wanted the freedom and flexibility to live life on our own terms, and we felt the pull to be more present with our families. But we still felt drawn to contribute, to build, and to create. And we wanted to establish financial security for ourselves and our children. For us, that looked like founding software companies, but for you, that may look different. Our mission is to help other smart, conscious women build and grow businesses on the internet. Starting up online can be overwhelming and isolating, but it doesn't need to be. Join us for honest conversations about what it really means to grow an online business that aligns with your values and adds something meaningful to the world. I'm Sandy Connery. And I'm Jenny Barcelos. And you're listening to the And She Spoke podcast. In our business, we're big fans of financial literacy and accountability. Knowing your numbers is an essential aspect of building a successful business and inherent responsibility for any entrepreneur. We also believe that what you focus on grows. So pay attention to your money. How do we stay up to speed on our numbers? We use Bench for our bookkeeping. It's simple, elegant, and saves us so many hours that would otherwise be spent neck deep in receipts on the other side of a spreadsheet. Each month, our transactions are automatically imported into Bench, and we get on-demand financial reports. We even enjoy opening up our profit and loss statement to review each month. And when tax time comes around, we are up to date and ready to go. And this is what financial empowerment feels like. Head on over to anshe.co slash bench to save 20% off your Bench accounting plan for the first six months. Welcome to the Angie Spoke Podcast. Today, we chatted with Lauren Geertsen. Lauren is a body connection coach and author of the brand new book, The Invisible Corset. She helps women heal their relationship with food and body image. We talked in depth about how women consciously and often unconsciously measure their bodies against an impossible culturally imposed beauty standard. For many years, she was a nutrition consultant, and through that work, she realized the underlying problem for her clients was distrust of their bodies, which results from wearing the invisible corset, the name of her book. Her blog, Empowered Sustenance, has supported over 40 million readers with holistic recipes and resources. The topic today is a little different for us, not quite as focused on business, but nonetheless, we knew that our audience, primarily women, needed to hear Lauren's ideas and start to examine their own relationship with their bodies. We both agreed that this book is a must read for all women and especially those with daughters. Enjoy listening to Lauren Geertsen. Well, welcome Lauren to the show. We are so happy to have you. Lauren, I am excited about this. Loved your book. Can't wait to dive into it. So Lauren, we should share with our listeners that uh, we know each other. And if I recall correctly, we met at a writing retreat at Write Doe Bay a number of years ago. And it was just such a special experience to meet you there. 
What a magical experience. And your book, we're here today to interview you and talk with you about your brand new book, which is just coming out, The Invisible Corset. But before we dive into this this conversation, I just would like our listeners to hear a bit more about your journey. Um, You came into the wellness space at an early age, and I know you had a really popular, or maybe still do have a really popular blog and were an early blogger. So tell us a bit about that journey. Yeah, absolutely. So I was diagnosed with a, an autoimmune disease when I was 14. And that's what really started my healing journey and got me into the wellness space. And it was a very severe autoimmune disease. And I did medication after medication and everything my doctor told me to do. But I just kept getting sicker. So by the time I was 18, I was basically bedridden. And my doctors told me that Basically, my last remaining option was surgery that would remove part of my colon. And they also said that this was kind of a temporary fix because the disease would likely continue to progress and they'd have to do repeated surgeries. And I didn't realize at the time that, of course, that's what happens when you use this model of medicine that just treats symptoms instead of addressing the underlying causes. So I was really horrified at that prospect. And I was also super, super angry at my body because I felt like it was taking my life away. And I really saw my body in the way that my doctors in Western medicine had described it, which was it was attacking itself. It was confused and broken and trying to kill me. And it was at this point where basically a book jumped off a bookshelf at me. And it outlined a dietary protocol of how to heal autoimmunity. And, you know, this was even like, this was like 10 years ago before autoimmune paleo and all this stuff was really trending. So it felt like a big risk because my doctors had told me that nutrition wouldn't help. But I had one last whisper of my intuition that told me, you've got to try this. And I did. And within three days, my acute symptoms were gone. And within three months, I was off all my meds. Uh, and that really, I just had this compulsion at that point to share what had helped me to put it online uh, and share the recipes that I was creating and the research that I was finding that was so contrary to the pharmacological kind of model of medicine. Uh, so that's how I started my blog, Empowered Sustenance, about eight, nine years ago now. And it really it really took off from then. Uh, and kind of along that that journey, I realized that the biggest issue in women's health and self-perception is a fear and hatred of our body, which comes not only from the pharmaceutical model of medicine, but also from the beauty culture and, and the beauty industry. Yeah, there is a lot there to unpack. So before we get into that critique, Lauren, because we have so many listeners who are also building brands and business, businesses in the wellness industry, I would just love to hear from you. What was that experience like growing your blog and growing your audience? Because obviously you had a really compelling and powerful message that you were sharing with people. And so was most of this organic growth? And at what point did this start to become a business? That's such a great question. And I have a new perspective now that I've, you know, I've had eight years from the beginning of it. What was really interesting is I started it from such such a sense of internal 
drive. It wasn't external oriented. It wasn't about the money I could make, about the reputation I could get, because I didn't know any of that, basically, that that was a possibility. I just knew I have to share what has helped me heal. And it was so fun. And it was a sense of um, just like play and passion and purpose. So I'm not surprised that within a year, I had turned it into basically a full-time job, full-time income, because I had that sense of ease and kind of play and abundance and purpose. And I, I think that was the magic key that I didn't know I was holding. Kind of, does that make sense? That, that kind of mentality? Yeah, no, it makes so much sense. I mean, I, I started blogging in 2010 and I, I want to, to, anchor these dates for people in who are listening, because it was a different thing when I started blogging and when you started blogging. And I think none of us thought about it as a business. It was very much um, something that we were, you know, just like you as a writer, it was, it, I mean, you were writing, you were practicing your craft, but it was, it was, it was coming from this place of having ideas and having a perspective that you felt like you wanted and needed to share with the world. And I think that that's, um, I think that's why so many blogs early on that are still around or that, that had a long lifespan were able to succeed is because people weren't thinking about it from a tactical standpoint. And it sounds like Lauren, you were really just writing from your heart and sharing resources that were meaningful to you. And that was the best possible way for you to, to build it into a business. Can I add something to that? The other piece was I really was in the right place in the right time, kind of before the gold rush where everyone inundated, especially the wellness blogging sphere. And before Google started really heavy duty censorship around holistic health websites with their algorithm change that came about three years after I started blogging. And even now, you know, social media was a very organic place for me. I was growing very easily on social media and that drastically stopped a few years ago because of all the censorship. And my Instagram account was shadow banned last year. I lost 17,000 followers and had to start a new one. So it's really interesting looking back. And I think, I don't know if I would have made it with all those ingredients that I had in terms of the research, the writing skill, the passion. But if I had taken all that and put it in today's era of censorship around holistic health voices and medicine, I don't know if I could have made it. Hmm. Yeah, that's a really helpful point of view to share. Yeah. And so when you were back then, I know that there's probably listeners wondering this, like how did you monetize your blog at back then? Was it just ad, ad revenue? Yeah. So I did ads for the first few years. In addition to eBooks, hmm. I started with PDFs uh, and that those sold pretty well for me because I could sell them at a higher price point. My first PDF was uh, called Quit PMS. It was at eighteen dollars uh, for this ebook, and it sold like hotcakes. Um, so then I I actually transitioned that to a Kindle ebook. I wrote another Kindle ebook uh, on healing acne naturally, and those were those were selling pretty well too. But they were mostly coming from organic Google searches to my blog and, and that organic growth. So I, I kind of hit the boom uh, and then everything kind of quieted down with those avenues. So can you tell us now, and, and we're going to move into your book shortly. I think we're all eager to get there, but just now, what is your revenue 
like now? Where, what are your revenue sources? Not what is your revenue like? Yeah. How do you make your money? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, largely affiliate programs mm-hmm. through my blog. So, you know, I, I recommend things that have a, a lower price tags, like some supplements. Um, I'm, I'm very picky about what I recommend because I do think the wellness sphere has become completely exploitative um, in terms of, of, you know, selling kind of uh, gimmicky health products and diet products that hurt people in the long term. So I'm, I'm trying to be very careful about that. And then I also have some bigger ticket items like uh, saunas that I get affiliate commission on, uh, you know, other bigger wellness tools that are definitely an investment for people. Um, and I actually removed ads from my site years ago because I didn't feel completely in integrity that, you know, somebody could be getting a, a McDonald's ad or, you know, or, you know, a Walmart ad on my site. And I was like, that doesn't quite feel right. I just want to be controlling what I'm showing on my website. Yeah. Thank you for sharing that. That's really helpful information. We work with a lot of folks now who are just getting started in the online space and who come from the same, you know, the same wellness modalities and interests as you. And I think that's really helpful to hear that you removed ad revenue from your site because you know, right now for people just getting started, I think that they, that it, there is a perception that that's something that people still do and it's something to explore. And I would agree. I think the reasons why you've removed ad revenue make a ton of sense. And I also think it's not for people who don't have a ton of traffic. It's not a very large revenue source either. Exactly. Exactly. And I mean, what I would say and what still works for me is if you can get your list started and, you know, you really tend to that and you don't bombard people with too many emails and you really keep that curated and respect people's inboxes. That has been kind of my, my compass this whole time. Uh, and I'm just really careful about what I recommend, but people really trust my recommendations. And so I have been able to make my living on affiliate income. That's awesome. Thank you for explaining that. Can we talk about your book? Let's do it. The Invisible Corset, Break Free from Beauty Culture and Embrace Your Radiant Self. I just have to say, I was just going to skim it. I was just going to like get a you know sense of it. I was so drawn in. Lauren, I spent the entire like multiple eating, evenings reading this. I loved it. I loved it. I only got a PDF copy because I'm in Canada. Um, when this launches, I am going to buy the hard copy because I need this book. I, I, I just cannot tell you enough how gorgeous it is and so powerful and so as Jenny said earlier thank you so much Sandy and don't buy the book I'll send you one for sure I need to hold um, I'll it. be able to do that okay yes I'll, I know I'll I feel you <laughs> I'll send you a, hot, a hard copy but thank you so much that means the world to me so Lauren I agree wholeheartedly this book is gorgeous and you're a writer and a poet so it only makes sense that your book would be beautiful to read, but so often books in this genre aren't well written. They're often ghost written, and so I just mm-hmm. it, I, I just encourage anyone um, who has the opportunity to run out and get this. And when is it? When is it being published? It comes out January nineteenth. January 19th. it's on pre order yeah. until then. okay. So it, yes, pre order it. Go and grab your copy in reserve and have it waiting for you in your mailbox on January nineteenth. So Lauren, before we get into the depth of the book. I also want to hear from you what the journey was like to write this. And from our previous conversation, you've mentioned that this was years in the making. So tell us about what the process was was like to write this book. 
Absolutely. And, you know, one of the things that was so helpful for me at the Joe Bay Writers Group that we went to and other writing workshops I've gone to is hearing how the book writing process is different for so many authors. Uh, So I'm definitely happy to talk about that. For me, this started much like my blog, this very intense internal sense of, I need to do this. And I actually had a dream a few years ago where I was in this circle of very old, wise women, and I just suddenly started sobbing. And I said, I have to write the book that changes people, and I don't know how. And the pressure was like a physical ache in that moment. And uh, in the dream, the women are all like, oh, oh, you've got time, tut, tut, it's okay. Because the intensity of getting this out was just so felt. Uh, And then when I woke up from that, it was literally like that was the moment my soul had been assigned to write this. Yeah, that was a, a few years ago. And it got, I mean, that internal motivation got me through the process of book writing, which is so much, uh, I, it's so much rejection mm. and it's so much work. And, you know, even when I, I've had the privilege to work with a really great agent um, and that process looked like I basically had written a manuscript and she's like, okay, go back to the drawing board before we even show this to publishers. We worked on my uh, proposal for about a year and a half, just the proposal. Wow. And then when it did get picked up by publishers uh, and, you know, that process is basically they pick your book up a year and a half to two years out before they publish it. Mm -hmm. So even at that point where I was like, oh, I wish I was at the finish line, they're still sending me, you know, the manuscript back saying, here's feedback. Uh, And it was it was exhausting. And but I would say that one of the most important things I did was I, I prayed that this book would land in the hands of people who would really put it through the fire. Uh, And I, I, if I could go back and give myself that advice, I would say, pray for the right people who are really going to put the book through the fire because as intense and difficult as it is, it's so worth it. So Lauren, tell us a little bit about what message, what is the biggest takeaway that you want readers of this book to have. When, when someone sits down with this book, I, I felt like this book was speaking directly to me. Um, I felt like it was speaking directly to every woman that I know in terms of how, how we have to confront the external perception of who we're supposed to be in the world and how we're supposed to carry ourselves and what we're supposed to show up like. I just, I felt like it was a message sent directly to my heart. So I just would love for you to share a bit more about what is like, what is the one thing you want women who read this book to walk away with? I want women to be able to trust their bodies as wise beings who know how to heal themselves, their families, their lives and the world. And we need that perception to heal how we've been trained to see our bodies, which are machines that we need to control and fight and dominate. Um, and as long as women are, are locked into that broken perception. We're going to feel like we're at war with ourselves and our lives forever. Mm-hmm. And why do women, why do women have those issues? So th- let me get a little bit spiritual here, but in order to control a person, you need to put them at war with their true self. And that is happening on a 
on a spiritual, emotional, psychological, mental, and emotional level in the world right now. And industries that are built on the paradigm of being at war with humanity's true nature and nature's true nature. Uh, they need to control women because the beauty industry is, is not aligned to who we truly are or women doing our healing work in the world. Mm, that's hard to hear. Mm-hmm. It is. It's, it's, it's a big message mm-hmm. in this book. What do you think the world would be like if women were able to adopt this attitude? So much more joy. You know, I didn't know what true freedom felt like until I was unashamed to show up in the truth of my body. Because when women are afraid of the truth of our body, whether that's our wrinkles, our cellulite, our weight, our skin, our hair, whatever it is, that is the equivalent of being afraid of who we truly are, you know? And if we feel the need to hide something on us externally, it is a direct analogy for how we are hiding something within us internally, where we're not bringing our, our voice and our gifts and our intuition to the world fully. At the beginning of the, um, I think it might've even been in the, the introduction section, you talked about being nine years old. Can you just share what your life was like or who, not your life, but like who you are and how you acted before these cultural norms got a hold of you? Mm-hmm. Well, I was very in touch with what I wanted to do in the world. I, at that point in my life, I knew I wanted to be a writer. I loved you know, doing sports and swimming and moving in my body without any concern of what I looked like or without any concern of this is burning off X many calories or I'm going to get to eat more today because I exercised. Uh, and so there was just a sense of, you know, my body being a partner in crime instead of my liability, you know, instead of something I had to fear. And then that did change as it does for most girls uh, starting around age nine, when our confidence levels absolutely plummet. Uh, And especially during puberty, watching my mom criticize her own body and practice dieting habits You know, she was very diligent that she wasn't going to criticize her daughter's bodies. Her mom did that. She was like, I'm going to break the cycle. And I really appreciate that. But kids get mixed messages. They get their wires crossed. If a mother is expressing her hatred and fear of her own body, well, guess what happened around puberty? My body turned into my mom's body. And so I had these custom made criticisms for myself. And basically, I learned how to see food through her eyes. So I want to break that cycle with this book. So Lauren, that section, that age was that the fact that you noted age nine was so hard for me to read because I have an eight-year-old little girl at the time of this recording. And I almost couldn't look at the book after I read that line um, because it terrified me to think that something was about to change with her. And it made me remember that transition myself as well, which I'd rather never think about again. I'd rather repress it and not confront that. And so there's something really powerful about calling it out and making people come to terms with something that they don't necessarily want to think about. I, I, I don't know what else to say about that other than 
it's just such a brave thing for you to be willing to say out loud or to write down in a book that you're sharing with, you know, thousands or hundreds of thousands or millions of people. And I just wonder what you said that this happened for you in a, it was almost like a spiritual experience. What were the factors that led you to want to put this out? A couple of things come to mind. First, I have had the sense for a long time that my life is not for me. My life is a story that I'm supposed to learn from to share, and that is my obligation. And if I do it right, then I can also experience um, the blessings that come with it. But if I don't have the courage to share that vulnerably, then I'm going to cut myself off from a lot of blessings and healing, uh, as well as cut other people off from blessings and healing. Um, And the other big piece here is I have also known for a very long time that I am not on earth this time around to have kids. And no part of my body ever wants that. But I have such a profound sense of mama bear energy that this cycle needs to stop with me that my role in helping the next generation of of young women is is starting with their moms um and teaching us how to change our perceptions of our body so we can actually pass on that perceptional healing uh to the next generation of daughters and and that is why I dedicated the book uh to the daughters. And Lauren, I, there's a point in the book where you said like, this is your generation's work to, to sort of embrace our own bodies and that your mother's work, our mother's work was um, about having a career. And can you just, can you just go, I can't remember it all. Can you say that part? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So essentially my great grandmother's generation decided that they had the right to vote. My grandmothers decided uh, that they had the right to higher education. You know, they broke all those boundaries. My mother's generation decided, oh, I can have a career if I want instead of a family or in addition to. Um, and I think to continue that lineage of female liberation, it means my generation decides we are entitled to exist in our bodies without shame. Or embarrassment. So there's a lot of messaging around, you know, beauty practices and cosmetic surgery and body shaping and weight loss being empowering. Uh, no, no. I'm sorry that that is so, it's so confusing, but no, true empowerment is getting away from the message that we need to control our bodies to succeed in the world. That is true women's liberation right now. Mm-hmm. I love that that's like this, like that. I think speaks to this generation and like everyone will just sort of rally behind that. I love that you laid out those generational focuses. Mm. Can you talk a little bit about women's success being linked with beauty? There is a line that you said, I think I, I think this is, I just copied this from you. We need to eliminate beauty as a determinant of a woman's worth and social contribution. Mm -hmm. So great question. Beauty culture is the idea that women's self-worth is linked to what we look like. And it is an internalized belief. So we're learning more about what internalized beliefs are now that discussions of internalized racism are coming up in our culture and things like this. So what it means is we are emotionally reacting as if this is true, even if we intellectually know that this is not true. Okay, but what happens is 
if we don't do the mental work to deprogram that belief, we are going to spend our money and our time and our energy, all of our resources, trying to shape and change our bodies in order to get the outcomes we want in life, whether that's, you know, love, better sex, uh, relationships, uh, career success, financial success. And the issue there is we are, you know, we've spent enough of our resources trying to change our body. We should know by now that, oh, this isn't getting me the happiness that I want. This is only giving me kind of tunnel vision and frustration. So the healing here is realizing, okay, how can I rechannel those resources through avenues that will really get me the success that I want in all those areas of my life? You know, and it's that we have to do the deeper internal work. We have to deprogram that foundational internalized belief in order to free ourselves up to use our resources elsewhere. Lauren, I'm interested in, there are two parts of this. I'm interested in your take on how much of this is internal work versus how much of this is structural and institutional and economic forces outside of ourselves that need to be reimagined. This is this comes up now for us in ev- almost every episode where so much of what women in particular face or any kind of disadvantaged people face has to do with both the internal work and the external structural issues. And I, I just wonder in your from your perspective, where how does that break down for you? Because obviously we can do the work internally ourselves to confront our relationship with our bodies and our relationship to beauty. Um, but then ha- what responsibility or opportunity do we have beyond that to, to systematically change what those things are in our, in our culture? I think that's another great question. And the way I look at it is if we don't have the ability to change the structure by changing ourselves, we don't have the ability to change the, the structure in the system. And that's a very disempowering view. I like to look at it as it is entirely within women's power um, to overcome the uh, oppression that we're facing, which means we actually, we, we can look at that oppression as internalized. You know, there are what we could call, quote, systemic forces that are influencing us So in the book, I talk about how women are perceived as less professional if we don't wear makeup. Um, And yes, this is this is true. There's data on that. But it would be a very disempowering view for me to be like, well, that means that um, I I need to wear makeup to further my career. Uh, And I was like, you know, I'm going to I'm just going to find another alternative. I'm going to practice the belief of what if my energy speaks louder than my appearance? Well, that means I I have to take away the crutch of my appearance. I have to take away the crutch of relying on how the system is built. I can't use how the system is built uh, around conventional beauty to further my success. I'm going to have to opt out of that and find so much strength within myself to overcome that. And I and I did, you know. Uh, and I I think that that's the underlying message I really want women to take away is. You know, yes, there are those internalized perceptions around you. Uh, If you're in a larger body, you're going to face external discrimination about that. But you can 
develop within yourself the energetic power to reach wherever you want to in your life, you know, and, and by doing that, by you reaching that deep within yourself, you change the system for everyone. Does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. I worry that, and this is just maybe my own (laughs) thought pattern. I worry that the people who have access to body positivity and the kind of work that you do are people that are already in a place to be receptive to. I mean, you're, you're obviously the way that you share this message is, is powerful. And I think that the more people who read your book obviously will be impacted, but I worry that there's this whole other you know, group of people that, that are never going to pick up a book like yours and read it, or that are never going to listen to a podcast like this, or that are never going to be exposed to this kind of thinking. And so you know, how do we start to undo some of that external oppression that then, you know, causes internalized oppression for people who, especially young girls, I'm thinking whose mothers will never read a book like yours. And I just wonder if that's something that you've been thinking about. And, and it's, and it's okay if you haven't, it's just that something that is constantly coming up for me is, you know, one way that I think we hold ourselves back as, thought leaders and activists is that, and, and I, and I know this from my own work in the climate change arena is that we, we tend to think about everything as being personal choice. And when, you know, there, there's a great deal that we can control with personal choice and our own growth work, but then there's all this other stuff, right? That's that it, because other people participate and because systems encourage it, it's still, it still goes on, right. And it still affects us to some degree. And I'm just wondering, how do we reconcile that? Okay. No, I I totally hear that. Thank you for clarifying that because we're on exactly the same page. The way that I see it is that when one woman who does have access to this book or this message or other body liberation messages, when she does that internal work, then the ripple effects in her life will reach the marginalized communities will reach the people who don't have this work. Like if she is an employer, if having done this deprogramming work herself, then she is going to understand that she needs to change her perceptions around people in heavier bodies, you know, being lazier. She's going to recognize when she has that thought pattern that it's not reflecting reality. That's reflecting an internalized belief. So she's going to have more freedom of who she hires. You know, she's going to have more freedom in how she talks to her employees and and have more empowering and truthful messages there. You know, so it really is like when one person does the work, it's any internal work that is true internal work translates directly to action that impacts everyone. That's how I see it. Yeah. Yeah. I I see that. I totally Mm -hmm. see that. And that's where it has to start Mm -hmm. for sure. So let's talk about makeup after that okay. heavy, heavy conversation. I love the part in the book where you talked about how you had to sort of clarify in your own mind about like, am I, why am I doing this skincare routine? Like self-care, like what does that mean to you now? Mm, right. That's a great question. We have been programmed to see self-care as buying products. Right. Self-care mm-hmm. is what is your morning routine? Um, what's your skincare routine? And 
the reason we've been taught to see it that way is because that perception makes more money for the beauty industry. And one of the things I talk about in the book is that the reason why women feel a lot of guilt and shame resting and relaxing elsewhere in our lives is because we've been taught to um, be ashamed of that. You know, we've been taught to have this glorification of, of busyness, but we often feel more self-permission around taking time for ourselves when beauty is involved because that makes money for the beauty industry. So what's important to understand is that true self-care is building a life that you don't have to escape from. So it's, it's changing the unhealthy perceptions. It's changing the unhealthy coping mechanisms uh, instead of just numbing out the pain or numbing out the insecurity of having those beliefs, perceptions, coping mechanisms in the first place. Hmm. I think it's interesting, like for those of us who do wear makeup and have a skincare routine, like the question now is like, why? Mm. Like, why do I wear it? Why do I do this? Like, is it because like I, that, that part in the book just really struck me and I've been asking myself that question you know, why? Like, what is the reason behind it? And so your sort of definition that you were kind of confusing, you know, doing the skincare routine as self-care versus like what you, how you see self-care now. Do you wear makeup at all now, Lauren? I do. I, I love this question too, because, you know, what we have to understand before we can recognize if we are actually making uh, an empowering choice is, um, does this choice reflect my true self's desires and perceptions? Or does it reflect the desires and perceptions that have been programmed into me societally so I make money for the beauty industry? And that requires the intense internal work that I mm-hmm. give the steps for in the book. Because, yeah, I love that. you know, for some women, their true selves is a very um, feminine energy, glamorous. I think of people like Dita Von Tees and... Uh, Oh, I'm blanking on her name, but the famous blonde Southern singer with the big boobs and tiny waist. Dolly Parton. (laughs) Dolly Parton. Exactly. Her true self. I've watched interviews with her and, you know, she talks about when she was how, when she was a a very young child, she wanted to look that way. Okay. That's her true, her true self being reflected. But my true self of when I undid all this deprogramming and I, I realized when I was wearing makeup from shame and insecurity, you know, my true self doesn't like to spend that time in the morning putting all that layers on my face and and doing my hair. So I cut all my hair off and I will occasionally wear red lipstick. Um, I often wear concealer under my eyes because there's a tiny little part of me that hasn't fully deprogrammed, but uh, it really comes down to, I can't tell you what that is. Uh, That's something that you got, you can explore yourself through the work. No, I, I just, I love that thinking because it makes us question our motivation behind our actions, but there's also a room to say, you know what? I love doing this. Mm-hmm. I really love doing this. And that you're not shaming people like don't, don't ever wear makeup. That's not the message. It's just like question behind that. So I just thought that was super powerful. Mm-hmm. Um, it also makes me think like, like I, I just, my mind is just swirling since reading this, like uh, about myself, right? Like what it, like, could I show up to a zoom meeting in front of, you know, a bunch of people and not like do the under eye thing? Could I do that? And if I, if that scares me, why? Well, that's the point where I basically had to put myself in the confidence gym and build that muscle for myself because I was like, 
that if I, if I go into a business meeting without that confidence crutch of having makeup on, I'm going to have to show up that much more. Like I'm going to have to get that much stronger internally in my energy. Um, and, and I was like, am I up for that challenge? I don't know if I can do it. That sounds pretty daunting. But I was like, I, I want to be the kind of person who has that strength of confidence and energy without relying on an external crutch. So I, you know, it's a challenge that we can kind of willingly accept. And it, it makes it funner if we, if we look at it that way. This is so interesting because, you know, I have such a different relationship to makeup and skincare than I learned so much from Sandy and it's fun. Like it's a friend thing to do for me. It's just fun stuff. Cause I never, like, I would never imagine putting anything on to go to the grocery store. And yet I've lived part of my life in the South and would be noticeably the only person in the grocery store, the only woman who was in the grocery store without makeup on. And I was like, huh, that's so interesting to me. Like I would never consider putting makeup on to just go to the grocery store. But if I was going to go out or go to an event, I would definitely dress up and put on makeup because it's part of the fun of getting up and, you know, getting dressed up and going out. And so for me, I, I rebelled against a mother who, who was very focused on beauty and outward appearances. And I rebelled against any kind of that behavior in my own life. And so for me, I, I feel like I, as a young girl was already like in third and fourth grade rebelling against that, like just wasn't interested. It was so weird to me, but I can see how culturally, like we arrive at that message at different places in our life. So. And it sounds like now you are at a point where when it feels fun, that's, meaning it's self-expression when it feels like a chore or when it feels like you have to do it, that's coming from a place of self-repression. Yeah, totally. Totally. And I also can see like the, the luxury of taking five minutes in the evening to wash your face properly and, you know, like take care of yourself too. So I think there's like that, you've got to evaluate for yourself where, you know, where you draw the line, like where is it becoming something else? Absolutely. I don't know. I bet every woman has such a, a an interesting beauty story to share. It just makes this conversation makes me want to ask like every woman I know what this journey is like for them. Well, you know, some there are those select few women who don't need this book. And for me, it's been really interesting to cross paths with them and, and chat with them and connect with them because I can see how they they never had these internalized beliefs holding them back. Wait, wait, Lauren, 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 Lauren. Who that woman? Yeah, yeah. I don't, I don't, I don't believe you. No, they're they're very there have been very few in my life. But you know, I have one friend who didn't even wear a makeup to her wedding, and she's just like, it's just never something I valued. You know, she's she's and never dieted. She? I'm thirty six, thirty seven. Huh. Yeah, I, I, I know. Just, I, that's just it. I don't blows my you. it blows my mind too, but it's kind of sad that that is so remarkable in our world. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's, it's true. Cause I was thinking like every single person, well, sorry, every single woman needs to read this book. And especially if you have daughters, mm -hmm. like, so I'd never actually crossed my mind that, that there was someone that wouldn't have these internalized beliefs about beauty. Mm -hmm. So interesting. Mm -hmm. Well, Lauren, we love your book and we love your work and your writing and your thinking. And I think you know, the world needs to hear your message. So thank you for sharing it with us on our show. And we ask every guest on the show 
before the end to share a joy and a hustle. So if you would be so kind to share something in your life that's bringing you joy right now, it can be anything, a book, a habit, a thing, (laughs) an animal, (laughs) a sunset, and then a tool that you found particularly useful in your career or business. So something in your writing career or in your blogging career, anything that you'd like to share with our listeners. I love that. Um, the joy right now is I've been doing a 15 minute Kundalini yoga video class every morning and it's, you know, quick enough to just add it into my day. I've been really missing my, you know, my dance and yoga classes that were in person that aren't happening anymore. And so it just kind of stirs up all this, you know, good, juicy Kundalini creative energy for the day. Uh, and the hustle is you know moving some of my writing groups i used to do a weekly writing group they have these on meetup.com they're called shut up and write and groups meet all over the country often at a coffee shop you all sit down together start a timer and for an hour you just write in silence but you have that collective energy and the you know you got to show up for the other people and we have moved my group to zoom which has been helpful. So doing that once a week. And I actually started another uh, group with just another writer. So we are doing the same thing. We're meeting once a week on Zoom, set time, show up, say hi to each other, start the timer uh, and write together, which is great for having that practice in in my life. Oh, that's so good. I like that. Jenny's going to be like, can we do that, Sandy? (laughs) That's so good. Well, we do co- virtual co-working in our inner circle community nice. twice a week. We have co-working calls and I think it's really, it's the same, it's the same thing where you show up and you're quiet and doing your own work, but you're just in community with other people. And there's something really magical about that. I think it is that shared energy. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. But that's, yeah, that's been super helpful for me. Well, that's great. Lauren, thank you so much for spending this time with us. Um, Cannot wait to get the actual hard copy book in my hands and um, we'll be sure to let everyone know that they can pre-order it and uh, just everyone, please go read it. It is such a good book. Thank you, Lauren. Thank you so much. And I just really appreciate the opportunity to come and chat with you. Oh, you're welcome. It's our pleasure. Yeah. Ready to go from, I really want to build an online business, but don't know where to start to, wow, I've just sold my first digital product. That's exactly what we're going to help you do during our free Become an Online Teacher course. We've created a simple five-day email-based course to teach you everything you need to get started as an online teacher. By the end of the week, you'll have a digital product that's mapped out, priced, and ready to offer your community. Head over to soulful.mba teacher to sign up. It's totally free.